Welcome to the St. Barnabas Pocket Sermon Podcast. The sermon you're about to listen to is from the Reverend Karen Hay, from the Feast of St. Barnabas the Apostle. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is in it worthy, and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, man, it's good to see you. (laughs) And to hear you respond. And, you know, I mean, there's nothing like Joan and Paul and Jim uh, and Andrew. But, boy, it's really quite something. I'm delighted, delighted, delighted. We finally come to this day. So how has this time apart really been for you? Has it been an interruption in your life? A really hard time you've just tried to get through? Has it been a time set apart? A time for listening, learning, and reflecting? Has it been a time where you've learned that you can do more than you ever dreamed? Or a time when you could do nothing but sit? Has it been a time of transformation? Whatever these past 15 months have been for you, something has shifted for all of us. And that isolation we all experienced is at least diminished. The pandemic isn't over by any stretch of the imagination, but things have definitely changed. We have changed also. What to do now? Put it all behind us and forget it? 
wipe our brows and say, whew, we got through that one. Say, I've been vaccinated, so it's over for me. And so what about the rest of the world? I hope not. When we began to isolate from one another, I remember saying to you that even though it was necessary to shelter in place and stay away from each other, we shouldn't be drawn into thinking that what we were doing was normal. It was necessary, yes, but it wasn't normal. I watched as so many people, myself included, were lulled into fear, fear of the virus and a rather insidious fear of each other. As days and weeks and months went on without a clear understanding of how we were ever going to come out of this pandemic, our continued isolation grew that fear in many of us. About three months into the pandemic, I found my own self in a very, very anxious state. So anxious, in fact, that I ended up in urgent care because my heart was pounding so hard and so fast for so long that I couldn't calm myself down. And while it was good to find out that there was nothing actually wrong with my heart other than it being broken because I couldn't be with the people I love, I remained fairly anxious for a time. I finally had a conversation with a wise counselor who helped me to get at the heart of my fear. I realized I was terrified of exposing my pregnant daughter-in-law to the virus and somehow hurting her or her baby. I was terrified of infecting my grandson or my own son, but not being with them was literally breaking my heart. While my grandson, who lives only five minutes away from me, was growing by leaps and bounds, I was missing it all. And like all of you who waited so long to see your beloveds, I waited until everybody felt safe, or at least safe enough. And that was only part of the anxiety I carried. Amanda died, Roger died, Richard died, Judith and Robert died. I couldn't be with them or their families as their priest, couldn't go into hospitals, couldn't offer last rites, couldn't pray with their families, couldn't hold their hands as they slipped into God's loving embrace. Most all of us have navigated myriad crises, big and small, during the pandemic, and each one of us has had to find our own way. Many of you have stories just like mine, stories of missing beloved family and friends, stories of being alone in the hospital, stories of not being able to be with sick or dying family members, stories of heartache and stories of crisis. I learned long ago that the Chinese word for crisis is made up of two characters. One is danger the other, opportunity. In crisis, danger and opportunity live side by side, both at present, both at play. And while crisis mostly feels terrifying, 
You can think of the things you've labeled crises in your life. There is danger and there is opportunity. Well, in our part of the world, we have likely come through the most dangerous time in the pandemic. I wonder if we aren't actually at a new crisis moment, a new time of danger and opportunity. Only now, the danger is different. It's not the danger of a virus we don't understand and don't know how to defend against. The danger now is our temptation to fall back into old ways to want everything to be the way it used to be, to forget everything that has happened, and so to forget every gift, every learning, every reflection that would never have come to us absent this pandemic. That is an important danger to recognize. If we try to jump back into life as it always was, try to prepare pretend we're all good and nothing ever happened, if we refuse to acknowledge that what has happened to us and in us, if we do that, how can God possibly redeem all this? God wants to make something good of everything, even this nasty pandemic, and we have to help it to happen. We came back to church on this particular day because today we celebrate the Feast of St. Barnabas. Most of you know that Barnabas means son of encouragement, so you might wonder why I'm talking about crisis. But Barnabas lived in a time of crisis too, a time when danger and opportunity were everywhere. I'm pretty sure I've read much of the information out there in the world about Barnabas, and I still feel like I know very little. I think I know so little because Barnabas insisted, as Jesus asked all of us to do, on being the least and the last. He wasn't born Barnabas. His given name was Joseph, and he was a first century Jew from Cyprus who, after his conversion, sold everything he owned and gave all the proceeds to the apostles. In return for that very generous gift, the apostles gave him a new name. They called him Barnabas, because in the midst of unspeakable danger for all those involved in that fledgling first century church, he saw not only countless difficulties, countless dangers, but he saw countless opportunities to serve God and God's people, and he acted on them, encouraging the faithful and deepening the life of the church. We're told Barnabas was one of the 72 apostles sent out by Jesus. We know it was Barnabas who encouraged Peter, James, John, and the others to allow Paul to join their community after his conversion from a strong persecutor of Jesus' followers to a zealot for Jesus. You may recall that Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus did not get him immediate acceptance from Jesus' followers. After all, only days before, he'd been plotting and scheming and breathing threats and murder against them all. 
But when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, even though he was as zealous for Jesus as he'd been zealous against him, he was not at all welcome. Listen to the words from the ninth chapter of Acts. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Makes sense, doesn't it? Being as wise as a serpent would indicate caution, even rejection of someone who only days before had threatened to kill you. But Barnabas was seemingly innocent as a dove. He saw a faithfulness in Paul that others did not see. It was Barnabas who told the apostles the Damascus Road story and convinced them of Paul's deep faith. And so Barnabas introduced Paul to Peter and all the rest of the faithful and acted as a mediator until the apostles could see the truth of who Paul really was. When we recognize how profoundly important Paul is in the life of the church, it's interesting to remember that Paul was recruited by Barnabas, not the other way around. While there are few words written about Barnabas, the words we have describe a man who lived an exemplary life. He was among the first to insist that Gentiles be welcomed as followers of the way. He was described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas was part of that first Christian community where everyone lived in common, a community that was sustained in part because Barnabas had been generous with them. But he gave so much more than money. He gave himself to God and to God's people, living according to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in his own life. Whether it meant giving his inheritance to a scrappy little community of apostles, or insisting that a former persecutor be trusted, Barnabas defied expectations and encouraged everyone around him in faith. Amidst persecutions, executions, and the seeming impossible task of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ into a world of people who had never even heard of him, Barnabas saw opportunity. And what do we see? We've been through a lot. When we first began to shelter in place, we knew we were all in it together. What we didn't know was that it would go on for more than a year. And now, joyfully, gently, carefully, and sometimes even precariously, we are coming back out into the world, little by little. And today, we find ourselves together again. How does it feel? <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that? She said, nice start. Yeah. So what have you learned? What have we learned? How would you like to move forward? What dangers do you see and what opportunities? What will our community look like as we come back together? And how will we listen for the new thing God is calling us into? 
You see, when it seems like everything's falling apart, especially when it seems like everything is falling apart, the opportunities for us to th see things in beautiful, new, creative ways are limitless. It is precisely because everything has come undone that we have the opportunity to reimagine a world with love as its foundation, a world where we really are all in it together. Don't miss this. Don't be in a hurry to have things as they used to be. Look around you. See these people you've longed to be with and know that each one of us has been changed. See this place you've longed to be and wonder how we will inhabit it now. We used to take all this for granted. Remember that so it doesn't happen again. Jesus gave those first apostles the power to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And he gives that same power of healing love to each of us. How will you use it? Will you seek out people who are different from you? Give without concern for recognition? Carry God's peace with you and offer it with abandon, never worrying about how you'll be received? You need nothing but God's love. You don't need gold, you don't need silver, or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, no two tunics or sandals or a staff, just God's love and the understanding that we all belong to each other and that together we can love the world back into wholeness. So be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Amen.